This morning we celebrate, we remember the baptism of Jesus. We celebrated Epiphany just a few days ago on January 6th. So we've also entered into the season of Epiphany, the season of Sundays following the Epiphany. And this is a time where we look for the ways in which God reveals God's self to us, or the ways in which we see glimpses of God. In the story of the baptism, we encounter John the Baptist and Jesus. They're in the, at the edge of things in the wilderness. They're also at the water. John is a bit of a strange character. He's a bold character, I would say. He wears different things. He eats different things. He had a lot of emotion in the way he comes across in the story. And it's interesting to me, in the little piece that we read, the lectionary just removes this little bit that interrupts the narrative. So we drop in on the story of John saying, come and be baptized into a repentance, into a turning in a new direction. Be baptized and turn toward God. Turn away from those things that take you from God. And then Jesus is also baptized and things unfold. But there's another little line in there that, like, in the midst of all this, um, John is arrested. It takes you out of the context of things. But John was so out there on the edge that he was scary to the power structure. He sort of called it like he saw it, which made those in power uneasy. Well, here we have John and Jesus and their cousins. And earlier on in this gospel, in Luke's story, Luke, by the way, he's he's a storyteller, one of the gospel writers. He was a Gentile, so he sees things from an outsider's perspective looking in. The story of the people of Israel was not his story. And in the way he shares the good news and the way he shares the gospel, we're constantly given glimpses of what it's like to be on the outside looking in, and then he flips it so that we're reminded that we are all in. Luke is such a storyteller that not only does he tell the story of the good news of Jesus and the way he lived and how he taught and then how he died, but Luke also continues the story in the book of Acts to tell the story of the early church. The beginning of Luke's story opens not with this moment of baptism, but really works to initiate Jesus' grown-up ministry. But it starts with the story of John's parents. It starts with the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah and Elizabeth were an older couple. They had hoped to have a child, but it hadn't happened that way for them. And one day, Zachariah is going about his work of prayer, And he is visited by a messenger and learns that his life is going to be turned upside down. It was hard for Zachariah to believe. Um, So hard, in fact, that the messenger's like, look, you're going to lose your voice until your son is born. And he does. He loses his voice, and it only comes back when he offers the, the name for his son that the messenger has given him, John. It's a few months later that Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, who lets her know that her life is about to be turned upside down and inside out. 
Mary, maybe a little bit too young to be welcoming a child into her life. Mary, maybe not quite ready for this, but she, just like Elizabeth, is, says, okay, God, how's this going to work? I'm here, and yes. So the story begins in the context of these two women and their families. And then here we are just a couple chapters later, but about 30 years later, when these two sons are together on the edge of things, at the wilderness, at the water. John is loud, he's very much a prophet, seeing things from a different way, challenging the status quo. And John baptizes Jesus. John and Jesus were, were cousins. I often wonder what it might have been like in those 30 years we don't hear about for them. Did they have a lot of interaction together? Did they, did they know each other? Did, did at certain points Jesus think like, oh, John, you're so weird. Did John think like, really, Jesus, it's you? It's you're the one that I've been told I'm supposed to prepare the way for? We wonder. In this moment... John baptizes Jesus, and then the story continues to unfold. I want to interrupt this and go back to the first lesson that we heard from Isaiah this morning. Isaiah, also a prophet, someone who came so close to God, and God came so close to him, that Isaiah just knew what God wanted him to say to the people. And Isaiah is speaking to a people, to the people of Israel, who've had a tough time of late. And he says to them, don't fear. I've created you. I've formed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. Even though things get rough, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You are precious in my sight, and I love you. Now, at the time, the people of Israel were being shaped as the people to share God's blessing with the world. It was a new idea that there was a God, God, God behind, above, beyond all of the gods, you know, the gods of the weather, the gods of the land, the gods of the region. There was a God. And here we have this God, just like a parent to their children. I love you. You are precious in my sight. Those words are echoed in the gospel story at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is baptized along with the others by John. And then Luke has this detail that doesn't appear in Matthew and Mark. Luke says that then Jesus prayed. That's a foreshadowing. It's a theme that is important throughout Luke. And so this year, as we go through the stories of Luke, I wonder if it's a year to place prayer primary importance in our lives and in our life together. But Jesus prays, and then the heavens are opened, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and the divine speaks. The voice from the heavens says, you are my son, my beloved. I'm well pleased. God saying, I love you. 
In the overall context of things, this baptismal moment sort of initiates Jesus' work. After this moment, he goes off into the desert by himself and deals with the trials and the temptations of those 40 days that we will live through as a community together in, through Lent in a couple of months. And then it's after that that we hear all of Jesus' teachings and healings and the way he interacted with those that were on the in and those that were on the out. And then three years later, we wind up at his death, resurrection, and ascension. But Jesus hears God saying to him, I love you. You are my beloved. In the same way the people of Israel a long, long time earlier heard God's words to the prophet Isaiah, you are precious in my sight. I love you. I don't know about you, but um, I feel like we've been in a pandemic for quite a long time. Um, and I'm grateful for the ways in which we are weathering this pandemic. And here in January of 2022, feels nothing like it did, you know, almost two years ago or even a year ago. Like things have changed, things I feel like we have, are bringing wisdom and we are doing a good job. And yet, with hearing stories of the rise in Omicron and the different ways we are making responsible choices to keep each other safe, but also just the way in which it's moving. Like, I am once again feeling the heaviness of that, like, again? Like, how much longer? Pandemic, for me, has been such a potent reminder of a lot of sort of those life lessons, but first and foremost for me lately has been, I am not in charge. I think we should be done by now. But I am not in charge. And I am reminded that, that, that none of us are in charge and that best laid plans often end up needing to take a left turn. That even though we see, what, you know, we plan things out, and it's good to make goals and to plan things, but like, we never know what's going to happen, how we might be derailed, or how a change might actually end, end up taking us deeper into a good place. So this morning, I am encouraged by Elizabeth and Mary, these two mothers of John and Jesus, and the ways in which their lives were turned upside down and inside out, and they showed up. They kept going along. They said, okay, God, Sure, I'm in. I am sort of fortified and inspired by their steadfastness. There is a professor and writer called, um, named Kate Bowler, and she's written a, a book that I commend, but she, um, she's written a couple of books. Um, but she posted a blessing the other day that just felt really real to me right now. So I'd like to end things by sharing her blessing. This is called A Blessing for When You Realize Everyone is Struggling. Blessed are you who have realized that life is hard, and it's hard for everyone. Your awareness came at a cost. You lost something you can't get back. You were diagnosed with chronic pain or a degenerative disease. Your family fell apart, and things have never been the same. 
Blessed are you who gave up the myth that the good life is one of happiness, success, perfection. The life that looks beautiful on Facebook but isn't real. You who realize it is okay to not be okay, to not have a shiny life, because no one does. Blessed are you who see things clearly where struggle is everyone's normal. You walk among the fellowship of the afflicted, a club no one wants to join. And while this life isn't shiny, it does come with superpowers. Superpowers of ever-widening empathy and existential courage that you get you back up after another fall. And a deepened awe at the beauty and love that can be found amid life's rubble like flowers that grow from the cracks in the sidewalk. These virtues blossom in you and thank God for you. Blessed are all of us who struggle, for we are in good company and will never walk alone.